Uh, it's great to be with you today. Uh, if it's your first or second time at all of our campuses, thank you so much for, for making it out here. Maybe you're supporting a family or friend uh, through dedication. Man, we're honored that you're with us. Uh, we're going to spend just the next few minutes uh, talking through the, the Bible. We believe it's God's Word. Uh, we've been doing a sermon series called Burn the Plow, uh, Kill the Cow. Uh, and I think that's what it's called, right? Burn the Plow. I've been saying it wrong for three weeks. Nobody told me. And so, is it eat the cow or I don't know what it is. And so, we, I didn't make it up. And so... But it's a story uh, about a man named Elisha, uh, and he's a, the reason I've loved him and I've loved talking to you about him, he's a very normal man, just like you and me. Uh, he was a farmer. He's kind of minding his own business, one of the most famous men in the world at that time. Uh, in their country, Elijah comes to him and says, hey, you're the next prophet. You're the next man God wants to use. And so I encourage you. I said, these, these moments happen in all of our lives. You don't need to be extraordinary. Uh, you simply need to be willing. And so in that moment, the Bible says Elisha goes back to his farm. He kills all his cows. He burns his plows. He has one last meal where he eats them. Essentially, what he says is, if I'm going to follow you, I need to not have a backup plan. And I encourage you. I said, in your plan, in your purpose for God, if you refuse to kill the past, eventually the past will kill and destroy your future. And so there's going to be a moment where you got to kind of wipe something out in your life so that you can't go, go back. And so we started there, and then we took a look at the next 10 years of his life because he didn't just get called and then used. There's always a season. We called it the gap, the God-appointed preparation between when you're called and when you're used where God does some stuff in your life. So if you feel like you're in that season, don't rush it. Don't be confused by it. Don't get angry with it. Just embrace it. God is teaching you things that one day will be useful to you. And so we, we talked about that. Then we, we learned kind of two things he did. The first thing he did is he learned quickly how to handle success. The way to handle success is not to see success, then learn how to do it. The way to handle to su success is to get prepared before you get there. And so we, we encourage you, man, he got prepared by becoming a servant. Serving enables us to handle what God wants to do in and through our lives. Two weeks ago, we talked about not being talked out of it. Remember, we talked about the voices that, that that we hear in our head, that often are our enemies, the voice of Satan, the voice of society, and even the voice of ourselves. I encourage you, listen to the voice of God. Listen to what he wants to do in and through your life. And then last week, we talked about the principles of prosperity. How, how do you continue to see? You want to live under an open heaven? You have to have open hands. You close your hands off to God. God will close heaven off to you, that, that the best ideas you have if you're a business owner, if you have resources to give other people, that God's waiting for you to give those away to others so that he can bring you even better. He's a God of plenty. Remember, we talked about that. And so today is week number six, and it's, it's a, the, the title's pretty simple, Sweat the Small Stuff. Remember, ever heard the, the, the term, don't sweat the small stuff? And, I, and I, I think there's some parts of it I agree with, you know. Don't get mad at people. Every time somebody cuts you off on the road, even though you're from Pennsylvania, do not lose your mind and curse them out and then have to ask for forgiveness on the next Sunday. Like sometimes in your life, it's okay to overlook the small things. Some of you, it's, it's Thanksgiving, so what's going to happen? You're going to go to your family's house and you're going to have to not sweat some of the small stuff. Your brother's going to offend you. Your sister's going to offend you. Somebody's going to look at you the wrong way. You know, your grandma's going to say, ask you if you meant to do your hair like that today. Something like that. And you're going to have an opportunity to be offended because that's how we kind of work with family, right? But you need to not sweat the small stuff. But there's other times in your life that, that I think you absolutely need to be involved in, in sweating the small details of your life. I'll give you an example. The Eagles, I love talking about the Eagles. I love just saying it because you just know some people in the room, they just, they just die on the inside. <laughs> Could you imagine if we actually win the Super Bowl, how much we're going to talk about this for the next 25 years, right? 
I mean, it is going to be awful. If you don't like them, it's going to be awful. But they're eight and one. Do you guys know that? Okay. They were one and one about two months ago. And they played the Giants, remember? And at the end of the game, they had completely lost the game, or, or, like blown the, blown the lead, and the momentum was going the Giants' way. And there was about 35 or 40 seconds. I don't remember the exact thing. And they had tied the game off. Carson Wentz got the ball. They, they drove down the field. There was about eight or nine seconds left. Remember that pass he threw to Alshon Jeffrey? It was about 35 yards or something, 25 yards. Gets him in field goal range. The dude kicks 61-yard field goal, barely makes it, right? I mean, if you watch it, it barely goes over the crossbar. And I would argue that it was the inches that they, they got. If they would have got one less yard on Alshon Jeffrey's catch, and that would have that happened is he probably wouldn't have made that field goal. They probably would have lost, and our entire season would have been typical Eagle season. Right? Like, some of you are like, no, everything changed in the small. The reason the Eagles are, are good this year and are flourishing is they're great at the small things. The great at, at the, the football is a game of inches, and I would argue that a lot of life is, it looks like that. That the greatest, listen, the greatest teams, the greatest organizations, people who have the best marriages, the people who do the individuals who do the most in their life, they do the small things successfully. They, they do things that most people take for granted. The best businesses, the, the best organizations. The best students, whatever you do in life, that the difference between you being the best and who actually is the best and succeeding is often just inches. It's the little things in your life that oftentimes lead to a big difference. And so I want to talk to you today about sweating the small stuff. And here's the problem is we misjudge things in our society. We look at things and we go, well, that's not that important. That's not that big of a deal. Every time I run a stop sign, there's no cops. That's not that Big of a deal. I, I California roll into it. You know what I'm saying? It's roll by it. It's optional. It has that white line around it. It's an optional stop sign. And so every time we don't push our cart back to where we're supposed to push it, every time we decide, if you're watching online, not to come to church because there's wind. <laughs> wind. It's windy today. Every time you decide to take that one extra little look at that female or that male that you're not your husband or your wife. Every time you do those things, that, that life, that the difference between the best you can be and being mediocre is the small things. And what I think the problem is, is we misjudge the significance of the small things. Here's what we do. We believe, because I've been telling you, God has a significant calling, wants to do something great. We think significant callings need sizable opportunities. And so what happens is we go, well, God wants to use me. He's, he's looking to use me. He wants to do great things in my life. And that's not a big enough opportunity for me. That's not that big of a deal. We do this as parents. We look at our kids and we go, what a sizable calling that it is, you know, to be a parent. And so because of that, we oftentimes like to live out what I would call sizable opportunities in our memories. What do we do? We go, I'm not going to spend a ton of time with my kids because I'm really busy, but I'm going to do well at my job. And then instead of spending consistent small amounts of time with my kid where we're simply just being parent and, and, and kid, instead I won't see them much, but I'll blow their minds with trips to Disney World and things like that. Like I won't spend a lot of time with them, but when we do spend time, I'm going to take them to the moon 
and back. And I don't know if you ever realized this about your kids, because we're about to do this for Christmas. We're going to work ourselves to a bloody mess. We're going to take medication because we're so stressed out. We're going to be up late at night wrapping things that they are going to completely destroy by New Year's Day. We're going to fight the crowds. We're going to go out on Black Friday and shop. You're dumb if you do that, by the way. You're going to do these things because we want to give them sizable memories, right? Because it's a big calling. I don't know if you ever spent some time with your kids. Uh, hopefully you have. Uh, but I, a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to spend some time with my, my, my boys. My wife went away for, for the night, and so I wanted to do something sizable, memorable. And so she went away, and so they came home from school, and, and I was like, you guys want to go see a movie? So they were like, yeah. So we started talking about the movies, and Thor had just came out. And so I'm like, let's go see Thor. So we get in our car, we're driving, and they're fighting about going to see the movie. They don't want to see this. Harrison doesn't know what Thor is. I'm like, you've watched the movie Thor on our TV a million times, jerk. And so Lincoln doesn't want to go because Carter wants to go. Carter's crying because Lincoln's just being a jerk to him. I finally pull the car off the side of the room. We're not going. Carter starts bawling, crying. You're so mean. You're ruining my night. I'm like, I'm not taking all of you to the movies. It costs $75 and a kidney to go. We'll spend $5.99 when it comes out on Comcast and watch it in our home. I said, so we're not going. So here's what we're going to do. I turned the car around. I pulled in a giant. They're like, what are we doing? We're shopping. <laughs> so Mrs. Mom makes us do this, right? And I pull in. I'm like, we're going to get junk food. We go in. We get, we get any soda they want. Mom wasn't there. We get a big size bucket, you know, the clear bucket of cheese balls. You know what I'm talking about? They're good. Don't judge. We go to get Enemans. Just buy one, get one free donuts. We get popcorn. We get... We get uh, little little English muffins, and we get sauce and some cheese, and we go home and we make we make English muffin pizzas. And as we're doing it, my boys and then we're going to eat out in the living room, which we never do because they're boys on blankets, you know, with everything tarped off. And so, <laughs> and, we're, and in the middle of it, my son who who was crying about the movies, he said, he said, this is so much better than going to the movies. It costs fifteen dollars. I was like, it is better. You're right. <laughs> We often make the mistake. We often think it's the big things that our kids are going to remember. If you, if you're, if you have big memories, we, we live kind of in social media dream world. But most of our kids simply just want to have small moments with us. It's the moments, if, you, if you're a kid, you remember, it's the moments where your, kid, your parents would maybe play a game they made up with you or do something, craft, something like that, something free at the home. Maybe you just lay and watch a Hallmark movie if you like that. But it's the small things. And I want to talk to you about that today because here's what I believe. I believe that many God opportunities to walk in greatness, they're missed because they appear insignificant in a world that judges things incorrectly based on the size. There's opportunities that God has given you right now to see success, to make an impact, to do things well, that we deem not that big of a deal because we live in a world that judges things incorrectly by their size. And so I want to take you into a story, another story, and we're going to kind of practically learn this lesson. We're going to go into the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to see another miracle that Elisha is a part of. A little background. The story is about a man named Naaman. Naaman is a commander-in-chief in the army for king of, the king of Aram, A-R-A-M. I think that's how you say it. Nobody was alive then to tell me otherwise. And so Aram, and so he is a successful king or, or, or commander. The only problem is he has leprosy. Now, we don't understand leprosy. 
uh, because leprosy is pretty much uh, unrelatable. It's, it doesn't really affect us. But, but in Bible times, you will often see people had leprosy. It was one of the most deadly viruses and diseases you could contract. It literally would kill you slowly. Stuff would fall off. No, you would just lose your nose one day. Uh, you could burn yourself because you, your, your, your senses would begin to fade away. And so you could have your foot up in a fire and it could be lighting on fire to be like, hey, George, your foot's on fire. Oh, my bad. Like, literally, you would just lose. It was, it was an awful disease. Not only was it awful physically, but it was awful emotionally because you would, it would separate you from everyone else because they could contract it just by being near you. So oftentimes, you would lose your family. You would be separated from wherever you were, and you would just hang out with a bunch of other people that had leprosy. And so he had gotten this disease. Here's this successful, famous general. He's won the approval of his king. And all of a sudden, maybe through fighting, maybe, maybe through going through a, a, a neighboring city, and he comes in contact with some, somebody who has leprosy, and he's contracted it, and his life is completely changing. Then by chance, because of the wars that they have won, uh, they, they kind of, in the older days, they would, they would fight and then they would keep certain people alive and make them their servants or their slaves. The Bible says this young girl who had heard of Elisha was working in his house. And she saw him and she said, I know a man who could heal you. I know a man who can touch that leprosy. And he said, take me to him. His name is Elisha. He lives in Israel. So he goes to his king and he says, hey, me and you are boys that won a lot of wars. I got a problem. I've heard about a guy who can heal me. Can you give me some money so we can maybe entice him to heal me? He writes a letter to the king of Israel, and that's where we pick up 2 Kings chapter number 8, or verse number 8. It says, when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel, he had torn his clothes. He sent him this message. And so what happened is he comes and he says, hey, you need to heal this man. Well, the king goes, like when they did that, it was a sign that they were upset. He's saying, I can't heal you. This is going to start a war between me and this other king. I got nothing to do for you. He says this, the next verse says, why have you torn your robes? He says, have the man come to me, and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha hears about it, and he says, send him to me. So this is what the story says, and I love this. He says, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. This dude's important. He shows about Elisha's house. He knocks on the door. But Elisha, the Bible says, sends a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Sounds too good to be true. This is what he says. But Naaman went away angry. I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his arms around and do a dance and cure me of my leprosy. And not, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? He says, I got better rivers at my home. Sometime Google an image of the Jordan River. It's a dirty, small river. He says, I got way better options in my home. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off on rage. Why is he mad? Because he thinks he has a big problem, so he needs a big solution. Same mistake we make. We have a big calling, so we need big opportunities. God, you call me to do something great, give me a platform to stand on. God, you call me to do something great, give me a successful business. God, you call me to do something great, I'm waiting for my spouse. Bring them, literally, float them by me, put a sign on their head that tells me that's the one. Let us get engaged in three months, married in six months, happily ever after. God, would you just do these things? And the Bible says Naaman gets angry. You don't, you didn't, he didn't even come out. He didn't even wave his hand. He didn't even dance around me. He didn't do nothing. He just wants me to go to the Jordan River and wash. And I love what his servant says to him. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13. He says, Naaman's servant went ahead to him and said, 
My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, wouldn't you have done it? How much more than when he tells you the simple things to go wash and be cleaned, should you do it? You got this great need. If he would have told you to do something great, what have you done? I'll give you an example. These are the church people that come and say, I'm supposed to go to uh, Afghanistan. I'm supposed to go be a missionary in Af- Afghanistan. I remember in Bible college. God, I'm supposed to do these things for you. That's great. You're supposed to do that in a couple years. How about next Sunday you just come to church? How about you just show up to church for four weeks in a row, even though it's windy? God, you're supposed to bless my business. That's great. How about this Christmas, you just be generous with what he's already given you? How about instead of looking at the big thing he wants to do in your future, how about you're just obedient with the simple thing he's asking you to do? He says, if he would have asked you to do something great, you would have done it. So why don't you just go do the simple thing? And the Bible says, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, just like Elisha told him to do, and watch what happens. The Bible says, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Not just a, not just a weathered army man. I mean, he got the fountain of life, y'all. God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. But oftentimes, it starts with small obedience and what seems like insignificant things. You see, the people most often used by God are extremely successful in the small things. So I want to give you four things. And this is, I got to be honest, this is my favorite sermon. This is one of my favorite, it might not be for you. But this is my favorite sermon to preach in this entire series because I love this principle because most people don't do this. They want great without being, being small. They don't understand that the greatest teams are successful in the small areas. So take a lot of notes and start to apply these simple things to your life. But here's four things I wish you would know about small things. Number one is this, is a lot depends on how you handle them. A lot of your life depends on how you handle the small things. Think about it. Jesus never pastored a large church. Did you know that? When he comes back, he rises from the dead. There's only 120 people in the upper room. That's a small church. Never pastored a large church. He was never a president. He was never governor. He was never mayor. He took time for little insignificant kids when nobody else wanted to be bothered by them. He told simple stories. He spoke of a flower in his stories, a bird, a gardener, a a husband, a lost coin, a boy who ran away from home. He spoke of how his father and our father takes note of the birds that falls. He closed the lilies, talked about how the lilies are clothed in the field. He's interested in every hair of our head. In other words, when, when we are great at the little things, we become a lot like Jesus. He, he was great at little things, and here's why. Because a lot, a lot in your life depends on how you handle them. Little things matter. Little things have big impact. Small things are significant. We know that at Journey Church. Let's just think about it. You ever meet somebody? Let's just say you ran into me today. We were talking at the end of this service, and I don't know if you know this, but if you are a public speaker, by the end of talking for 30 minutes, your breath smells like death. So maybe something significant is going to happen to you right now, and your God's going to speak to you, and then you meet me in the hallway, you know, and, and, and I'm this height, and I'm this weight, and I got all of these things going on. I just spoke for 30 minutes, and my breath smells like hot trash, and you come up and talk to me, and God's doing some great things to you, and I don't have a breath minute, guess what? You ain't hearing nothing. You're just smelling death. For <laughs> life, in the back of my pocket right now, guess what I have? Gum. I don't step off the stage without putting a piece of gum on my mouth. We have gum and we have mints all over our church. You know why? 
Because you can have a 200-pound person that looks great and their hair is done even though it's windy. And if your breath is stanky, nobody cares. That's all they're thinking about. Trust me, I go to pastor's events where they don't put gum in their mouth and they've drank coffee and it smells like there's things you'll never forget. The smell of a dead body and the smell of a pastor's breath. It's significant. There's other things in our church happening right now. We know this. Everything that's going on right now on this stage, all of these lights are controlled by one person that sits in one booth that controls one little mouse, and with one little right click, she could black the whole thing out. That was not in my notes. You just messed me up. Everything in life is dependent on how you handle the small things. And the problem is oftentimes the one who cares for little things is misunderstood by the ones who don't. They'll say something like this. You're, you're just over the top. You just don't. You care too much. You're right. I remember one time we were in church and this guy that was in the sound booth, he was running sound. He kept turning stuff up wrong. And at the end of my service, I pray and I want the music to come right up because if not, it's super awkward when you're walking out. So have the music ready. When I say, amen, the music needs to be going. And he didn't get it week after week after week. And I remember I went back to him and I said, hey, man. I'm going to punch you if you don't play the music. You know what he told me? And it wasn't the guy running the sound right now. It was a long time ago. He said, it's just church. What does it matter? It's just church. I said, man, people's lives are on the line. Every detail in our church matters from the parking lot to the exit. The breath mints we give you, the candy we give you, the earplugs we give you, the way we park our cars when it's rainy, making sure the cars that go on the second time and first time get, uh, visitor cars, that we laminate them so they don't get ruined so you can read the message. Everything matters. All the small things matter. And I'm not going to let a little-minded, insignificant, mediocre Christian who doesn't care about anything that's unsuccessful in every area of his life tell me it's not a big deal. I'm just not. In my business, in the things that I do, in my home, in my daily routines, in everything that I do. A lot depends on how you handle the small things. So do not measure the importance of a task by its size. Never weigh a task. If it's worth doing, do it right. You need to write that down, somebody. If it's not worth doing right, just don't do it. Teach your kids that. If it's worth doing do it right. Be successful in the small things. A lot depends on how you handle the small things. Here's, here's, a, couple, here's a couple things that, that are about it. Number one, number two is this. It's the small things handled correctly. This is, what, this is so important. That, that earn you future responsibilities. Some of you want the big opportunity, but you're not handling the little thing God's given you. Some of you want the big business, you want to be the big boss. But you're not even handling leading yourself correctly. Some of you want to be successful as, a, as an entrepreneur, but, but you don't handle yourself correctly. Some of you want, to, you want to have kids. You look in the future and you go, I want my kids to be this and that. Listen, your kids are just the sum total of all the small, excellent decisions that you have made over your life. Bringing them to church every week. Teaching them to tithe. Teaching them to serve. Showing them how you pray every day. Getting up early because that's what champions do. You know Carson Wentz ain't sleeping until 9 o'clock in the morning. Champions are up early, attacking the, light, attacking the world before the world attacks us. Showing them how to talk to people. Showing them how to tip. Pushing carts back when they're with you. Teaching them to hold the door open for people when they walk out the door. Teaching them to say hi to people when people say hi to them. I'm just talking about your kids, but we could apply this everywhere. 
teaching them to make contact. We are just a sum total of all the decisions that we decide to make. And it's the small things handled correctly that earn future responsibilities. You earn greater responsibilities by present responsibility. That's what it says in Scripture in Luke 16, words of Christ says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be, will be dishonest with much. It's just the way that it is. Then he gives a couple examples. So if you have been given, you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you will be trusted with true riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, if you take care of the things you have now, you're proving to God you can take care of more. How do you handle your car? Does it look like a trash can in there? Because most of you don't own it, you rent it, you lease it, you pay payments, bank owns it. God, help me pay this car off faster. God says, clean it out. It looks like a trash can. It's just a car. Is it? How do you take care of your house or your apartment or your cardboard box, wherever you live right now? How do you treat it? Do you look at it and go, this is crap, God? Where's my bigger house? God says, how are you handling this? You want more? You got to be trusted with what you have right now. Future responsibility is attached to right now responsibility. This is what it says, this is what I believe, and this is true, is the reason that God does. Some of you going, why is it like that? Because God knows that greater responsibilities, here, here's the thing, hold, hold greater consequences when you fail with them. So if you fail with your current responsibility, he's not going to give you more because the weight of those consequences is even more. It'll crush you even more. Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, I told you about my son, Carter. Took a book out from the library. I didn't tell you the book. I'm still not going to tell you the book. Uh, but... We didn't want him to take the book out, so we made him take the book back to school, tell his teacher, you know, I'm not allowed to read this, take it back to the library. I mean, it was, it was a, a life lesson. The next day, we talked to him about it, and he said, he said here's what happened. There was people around me. They, they were all telling me to get this book. I got this book, and, you know, I didn't really, I didn't know I was going to read it or not, but I didn't want them to think I was weird, and so I got this book, and, you know, I kind of felt bad for him, and then I told him, I said, but listen, man, there still has to be consequences for your actions. Because future responsibilities, when you fail in them, they're going to have more consequences. Like right now, you took the book out, and you had to go back and take it to your teacher, and you weren't allowed to trick-or-treat. That was the consequence. It was a big deal for him. He's never going to forget it, hopefully. In a few years, it's going to be in a group of people, and they're going to say, do you want to smoke this? And he's going to have to decide, am I going to be weird, or, or am I going to be normal? Is normal not broke? In a few years, he's going to be in a car with a bunch of his friends. Ooh, that's scary. And he's going to have a chance. Somebody's going to pull up beside him. He's going to have a, a guy and a couple girls in the backseat and pull beside him. And he's going to start... And they're going to take off in his car that I'm not in. And maybe, maybe unwisely he crashes and maybe hurts himself and hurts the people in the car. You see, it's, it's a bigger consequence then. In a few years, he's going to maybe be on the computer and something's going to pop up or that he shouldn't be looking at. And he's not going to be prepared to run away from it. And he's going to see something that's ultimately going to affect his sexuality for the rest of his life. You see, see, when you don't handle what you currently have well and God gives you more responsibilities, when you fail at that, it holds greater consequence. So what God's trying to do is he's trying to prepare you to get more in how you currently handle what he's placed in, in, in your hands. Every small decision that you make correctly today is preparing you to make a big, big decision correctly in the future. Every small decision you make today is preparing. So every time you don't push your cart back, it matters. Every time you cut a corner when no one is watching, that matters. Every time you don't fully stop at that stop sign, it matters. 
Every time you decide to allow a little garbage to come on your TV screen or to go into your body, it matters. Every time you take a little look, a little look of lust, it matters. Every small decision that you make correctly today is enabling you to make a bigger decision later. If you want more responsibility, you have to have present responsibility. Number three is this. It's the small things done often over time that make the biggest difference. It's the small things done often over time that make the biggest difference in your life. God can do big things in your life through faithful, small steps. Think about it. Are the best marriages built on a, on a crazy, expensive wedding and, and honeymoon? Nope. The best marriages are built on, fall, or on small, consistent days and moments of love and serving your spouse. There's people who have all the money in the world and their marriages are still falling apart. The best businesses are not built on one great quarter or idea, but on a commitment to be great in the last 5% of whatever they do. The best students know that great grades are not earned through one perfect test score, but through consistently studying and putting the work in. And the best churches are not built on one big event or outreach, but through staying the course to reach people week after week, month after month, year after year, and decade. Decade after decade. Small things over time lead to big change. Let me just make it practical. How many of y'all this week, you haven't been to the gym for a month, you're going to go to the gym this week? Because you know Thanksgiving's coming. And you're like, if I do this, if I work out this many times, you figured out this calculus problem in your head, if I work out this hard and I get this sore, then everything that I eat on Thursday will be counteracted by the one good workout that I had on Monday or Tuesday. If you don't believe me, go to the gym this week. It will be the most full that it could possibly be. There's a couple times it gets full. It gets full before summer. It gets full before Thanksgiving. And it gets full directly after New Year's when everybody's living with regret. What do we think? One big workout is all that I need. You walk out, you're like, oh, yeah. Here's the truth. What is it? Small, consistent, I love this part, little workouts actually lead to life change. Small, consistent little things. There's things in your life that if you would just simply start to do them consistently, your life would be different. Your life with your kids would be different. Your life in your business or at your church would be different. Your life with God would be different. Even we do this with God. Man, I screwed up for the last month. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get there 15 minutes early on Sunday. I'm going to sit close to the front as I possibly can without getting spit on by the pastor. And I'm going to sing my heart out. I mean, when Ashley starts singing and whatever, I'm going to sing. I'm going to hit every note with her. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing until I sweat. When I take, I'm going to take as many notes that I can to counteract all the dumb stuff that I've done over the last month. When God's saying, just consistently get up. Consistently come to my throne of grace. Consistently read my word. Consistently pray. Consistently come to church. Consistency over time always equals momentum. Consistency in the small stuff. I'm going to take it there. Over time always equals equals big momentum in, in your life. And so it earns you greater responsibility. It leads to what I would call momentous change. And then number four, lastly, is in this life we cannot always be doing great things. We know that, right? So we need to learn to do small things with great tenacity. I used this illustration in my, in my black and white leadership night a few, few months back, but some of you weren't here. It's difficult in our life because what happens is the great things always get a soundtrack, right? 
So like if you do something great, if you we're gonna watch the Eagles game, watch some sports, and there's always a, there's always a soundtrack. There's always there's always a, a a sound bit where you go, man, that's something great. But getting up in the morning, there's no soundtrack to your life, you know. Washing the dishes, there's no soundtrack to your life. Holding your baby and rocking them in the crib and praying over them, there's no soundtrack. Making time at the end of your night, at the end of your night for your wife or for your kids, there's no soundtrack to that. Showing up early when nobody's there with five minutes, you know, ten minutes before everybody else is there and and praying over the office and praying over your desk and praying over your demeanor, there's no soundtrack for that. So I think you should just I think you should just add one. I like to add the Rocky soundtrack to my life. Right? The eye of the top washing dishes, dent, 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 right? Because I'm it's it's a great act. If I wash dishes with the, with the tenacity, with, with with understanding it's a small thing, but I'm gonna do it in a great way. There's greatness involved there. When my boys see, that's what men of God do. They wash dishes. They don't sit around and go, I'm a big kid now. Like, that's, that's my, mom, my second mommy. My mommy used to do that for me. No, they go, this is what men do. When we open the door for somebody, we open it up, you know. Here you go. Here you go. Come on, frozen. That's irrelevant anymore. That's a... That's a small thing. People are walking in. My boys are seeing that we can do all things, small or large, with great tenacity. Because you can't always do great things. You can't always go on a mission trip to a third world country and do great things for God. You just don't get to do that all the time. And so you know what you do instead? You just love your neighbor in a great way. Instead of getting on in, in, uh, into the airport on time and getting on your plane and making sure you get down to that third world country, why don't you just show up to church on time next week? Come on, preaching good. Instead of waiting for that great opportunity to maybe get on the stage and sing and preach, why don't you just sing at your house by yourself? Why don't you just give God the glory? Why don't you just raise your hands in your home and pray? Why don't you do everything big and small with great tenacity? In fact, that's what it says in Colossians 3. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do. I mean, there's not different options. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for humans. Whatever you do, whatever your job is, big or small, whether it's picking up trash, cleaning toilets, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a salesman, whether you're a teacher, whatever you do with your day, when you get up, it's a gift from God. Do everything in your power to do everything that you have a chance to do in a great, tenacious way. We can't always do great things. So instead, we're going to do small things in a great way. Why? Why? Because it gives us more responsibility. If we can be trusted with a little we can be trusted with more. You want your life to change? It's not going to change overnight. You start changing it with small, consistent steps. Here's why. Because a whole lot more than we like to even maybe admit hinges on how successful that we are in the small things. The difference between good and great is the last 5%. We say it every staff meeting. We say it about every Sunday. The difference between great Sundays often and okay Sundays is executing the last 5% of whatever we do. The difference between my day being good and great is the small things most of you will never see. If I don't get up in the morning and I don't pray and my kids wake up before I prayed, I am not great. But if I get up 
and I've prayed and I'm ready and I put Ephesians 6.4 on my phone and it's a reminder to not exasperate my children. I think that word in Greek means beat. Man, I can handle them. My son, he said, why does the same reminder come up every day on the phone, Dad? And I said, because you keep waking up. So I need it for at least another eight years until you go to college, bro. We're going to do great things or small things in a great way. I promise you, if you apply this to your life, you will begin to see huge momentum. You'll begin to see huge movement. God's ready to entrust you with more, but he will not entrust you with more until currently you are responsible with what you have. And so your job as we pray today is just to look at your life and go, God, what am I not taking care of? It's my house, it's my car, it's my body. Christians don't talk about that enough, but gluttony is a sin. It's my body. Am I, not, am I not taking care of my body? Am I going to ask you to heal me of a disease that I simply didn't want to put the work in to get myself healthy so that I would never get it? Oh, man, that's good preaching. Trust me, I have a slow, slow, slow metabolism. If I eat bread, I gain 20 pounds. If I look at it, I gain 15. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with me. I'm me and you together. Whatever it is, God, whatever you've placed in my hands and made me responsible for, God, I want to take care of it. Why? Because I'm working for the glory of God and not for human hands. Would you-